and welcome to IBM Biweekly, a podcast focused on the technical aspects of the IBM I operating system and the community surrounding it. My name is Josh. Today is the 3rd of June 2019, and I have Episode 7 in store for you. Uh, Tim Rowe from IBM will be joining us today to discuss application development on IBM I, along with a few other topics. Speaking of the topics, we'll cover the agenda really quickly. Uh, today, we'll be discussing with Tim about the RFE process some application development strategy for IBM I, the advantages and disadvantages of using IBM I for web application solutions, open source software, and even IBM I cloud offerings. So there's a lot in this episode, so stay tuned to hear about all that. Uh, with that, we'll just jump into the sponsorship spotlight for this episode. Uh, this episode is sponsored by the Omni User Group. We'd like to thank them for sponsoring. Uh, they're a group based in Chicago, and you can visit their uh, website, omniuser.org. That's O-M-N-I-U-S-E-R.org. Omni meets every third Tuesday in the Chicago area. Uh, check out the website for upcoming speakers and dinner meetings. They're pretty cool. That's it for the sponsorship. Thanks again to the Omni User Group for sponsoring this episode. Without uh, much else to talk about, there's no news to cover or anything, so we'll just jump right into the discussion with Tim Rowe. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Tim, to IBM Biweekly. Uh, we always open up just with an introduction question of who are you and what do you do at IBM? Who am I? Thanks, Josh. It's really fun to be here. Um, who am I is always an interesting question. So, Tim Rowe, uh, my title is the Business Architect of Application Development and Systems Management for the IBM I Operating System. So that's my title. What does that actually mean? Um, it's a great question. It means that I get to work with our customers and our development team to make certain that the operating system from a development perspective, has the things in it we need to continue to be successful well into the future, as well as working with our system administration folks to ensure that the tooling that we have to manage and access the IBMI meets the needs of our users and systems administrators. Okay, that's very cool. So, with that in mind, does that mean that you have a lot to do with the RFE process? Yeah, yeah. A lot of my, a lot of, a lot of what we do is driven through that RFE process. The application development side, for example, we've been using the RFE process there for many, many years prior to um, the IBM I world moving to RFEs. Because before we had IBM I in RFE, the rational team, which is where our RPG COBOL compilers as well as our rational developer for iTooling um, lived, that organization used RFEs. And so we had lots of RFEs that were in that space as our developers helped us understand what they needed to do a better job with developing high-quality applications in their environment, in, in their businesses. And then as we moved on, um, we continued to get lots of RFEs for now for both the web middleware, some of the core pieces of the operating system, as well as many of our systems management tools. And so we really depend upon that information to help us understand what's going on in the minds of our customers. 
Yeah, that's really cool. I, I actually didn't realize that it had been used internally for a long time before it went public. Well, it, it was actually public with the RDI and, and, and RPG stuff. It just was only that little piece. And then ah, we expanded okay. to allow the entire IBMI operating system to now also participate. Uh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. So actually, do you mind, is it possible for you to walk us through the process of accepting and implementing an RFP? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, the, the first step is somebody has to write one. Um, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the first thing. I And this is one of those things, you know, I, I love it as I have had a great opportunity to travel the world and talk to our customers. And I love when I'm in a session and somebody goes, you know, this has been bugging me for years. Can we do this? And I'm like, well, have you ever let us know? Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, well, uh, 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 no. <laughs> well, you know, my mind reading skills are pretty poor. So having that RFE is, is really a key, key thing for both myself as well as the many teams that I get the opportunity to work with. Um, the teams that we have here, I mean, we have some incredibly sharp developers, but a lot of our developers don't actually have to use IBM I. They don't actually write applications for IBM I. They write plumbing. And so to help understand what the user needs, we need these ideas. Now, once an RFE is written, then having the community weigh in on its benefit, its importance, you know, by voting, adding more comments. It's not necessarily that we're looking for them to solve the problem, but it's right. we're looking for them to weigh in the importance of the issue. What business problem is this going to solve? Um, so that's obviously a factor to us. You know, we've, we've had some RFEs that have had, um, I think the RFE that had the most votes in my area, I had one for ACS for um, uh, more native-based printing. So it was the JPS printing support that we added. We had, I don't know, 250 votes for that. And the community, specifically the community in Japan, made it very clear to us that even though this was an incredibly difficult issue for us to solve, we needed to invest in it and we needed to solve it. They made that very clear by response. I think it was social media that, you know, ramped up the uh, count. But either way, it was clear. Others of them get done because a developer happened to be already in that code. And, oh, yeah, this is uh, an easy one. I can get it done in an afternoon. And so we'll deliver those kind of RFEs. And so there's a balance between the importance for business, the impact for the community, and the amount of effort required. And those are the things that I get the opportunity to look at and balance as we prioritize what our teams are going to be working on from a development perspective. Okay. Make sense? Yes, that was good. Um, Now, I'm curious if you're well, able to and allow, allowed to uh, describe the application development strategy for IBMI at all, as in maybe. Oh like, yeah, I, yeah. I talk about I talk about the the strategy for application development all the time. Uh, matter of fact, I had a 
a session this morning, bright and early, with a um, group of our um, business partners in India, and they they work with many customers that have applications, and so they need to understand. What is the, the strategy? What are we trying to do so that they can help make certain that their IBMI customers are, are following um, our, our path? You know, I like to think of our the strategy for application development in a very, very simple term. My strategy is to make development on IBMI normal. Mm-hmm. Now you know. All right. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and, and you think about development being normal. Um, you're somebody who's been trained actually in development in the not so distant past fairly recently. Mm -hmm. And so there's certain things that are taught in today's world of development that are very different than, you know, maybe when I had my computer science classes back a day or two ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we need to make certain, and and obviously the IBM I, which has got a, a history of over, you know, we're pushing 31 years now. We've got we've spanned many different disciplines and many different ideas and technologies within the realm of development. And so we're continuing to look at that to not only just add new things, but how do we transform what we have so that developers who have been trained recently can adapt and prosper Using some of the more, uh, let's call them legacy type applications or or methodologies, but being able to transform them into something that they would consider normal, and and that means both languages, tools, connectivity, um, source control, any of those kind of things are the areas that you know we we continue to look at and ensure that we are headed in that right direction. I mean, the simplest example is, you know, well, there's two that come easily to mind. One is just all the open source things that we've added to the platform. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. get, you can't get a lot more normal than than some of that stuff, right? Um, right. Yeah. Uh, very exciting part of it, actually. I'm glad to hear that you're going in that direction. I don't know why I haven't paid attention enough to hear that yet, but yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at even what we did with the RPG language, thankfully. Um, we, when I say we, I mean IBM and the IBM I community. That's who owns the RPG language. Right. And, and because we have that type of an ownership model, we being, again, the community through RFEs, conversations, requirements, those kind of things, as well as us here in the development lab, get the opportunity to move rpg into normal and yeah like free format and such yeah i don't like to call it free format because honestly we've had free format for a very long time um right that's true i like to call it modern rpg because modern rpg yeah, modern RPG includes fully free form as well as moving from monolithic to modular, self-documenting code. Again, oh, right. all that stuff that we think of as normal development. Mm-hmm. Correct. All right. Well, 
you know, you were you touched on a little bit about training in there uh, and how people have been trained. It's I, I was curious and had this question early on, but kind of skipped it. Um, what's your background and what got you into IBMI? Um, so it's I have a I I think a rather humorous background in many respects. Um, I wasn't really a big student growing up. Uh, you know, I went to college. Um, didn't do particularly well in classes. I, I thought I wanted to be a history teacher until I took a history class and didn't do very well. And then I thought, well, maybe like chemistry would be fun. And I didn't do very well in that class. And, you know, math teacher, I didn't do well in math classes, but all part of those classes, you know, you had to take some you know intro to computer science, you know, and, and oh, hey, look at that. I got an A plus in that class. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I should like think about that. And the reason that I love computers. I love what I do. Um, one of the things that's has always been one of my strengths is fixing things and solving problems, logic. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what got me into this. That's what I, you know, love doing it. Um, and that's sort of my background in that respect is that, you know, I, I have a computer science degree, um, from, you know, ages gone by, uh, and then I've got, you know, multiple masters in the school of uh, experience, oh, very cool. <laughs> if you will. And then what shifted you into IBMI? Um, actually, I started out of college. I accepted a job at an insurance company doing mainframe assembly level coding because one of my favorite classes in college was assembly level, assembly oh, coding. Wow. And then out of the blue – a couple weeks before I was actually going to start at that job, I got this call from a consulting firm out of someplace in Rochester, Minnesota. Actually, they called and said it was in Rochester. And I'm thinking, dang, I love upstate New York. Because I'm, orig- I'm originally from Rhode Island. So I grew up just uh-huh. south of Boston. So I'm an, I'm an East Coaster. Um, so when I heard this Rochester, I'm thinking, oh, upstate New York is a beautiful part of the country. Yeah, it is. And and so they asked me to, you know, they're like, well, it's not mainframe, but it's it's mid-range. It's IB, it's AS400. And I'm like, no clue. Never heard of the thing. It, granted, granted, AS400 was less than a year old at that uh-huh. time. So – it wouldn't be something that I'd heard of much, um, but it was operating system code. It was operating system development. And that sounds fun. That intrigued me. And so, you know, um, my wife and I decided to come out to Rochester for a year or two just to kind of, um, uh, this is the time to go on an adventure. And uh, sort of never left. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, I've been there ever since, huh? Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd be able to turn down an operating system position either. That's yeah. cool. And so I've, I've had a very fortunate career in that, you know, I've worked in many different layers of the operating system, you know, lots of stuff within the work management and kind of stuff. I was, I was fortunate to run one of the key testing teams when we did the MP to risk migration back ages ago. Oh, wow. That wow, was that was one of the fun of that, jobs. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I actually I, cool. I had a testing organization. I had a testing team that had about eighteen machines at at its at its um, peak, and our goal was to run the machine at a hundred percent CPU to see if we could make it fall over. <laughs> All um, right, and we did make it fall over many many times. But 
of course, that was a good thing because by the time we were done, it was in much better shape before it went out the door. That's neat to hear, though. I was studying about risk, so yeah. it's neat to hear it from someone that was part of it. Um, so now to get a bit more specific on IBMI applications, uh, as I, I'm, I've been doing web application development for a while, and I had a constituent reach out with this question. Uh, as a web application developer, what are the chief advantages and disadvantages of choosing to host my solution on IBMI as opposed to other platforms? Oh, man, there's some really, really great advantages. Mm-hmm. One, it's just purely the integrated nature of everything. So, Which is the I, right? Yeah, I mean, the fact that the fact that you have your database, you have your, um, your, your you can have your application servers, your web servers, um, your security, um, all of that in one partition, you actually get far better resource management, for example. So if, if I were to think about multiple um, partitions or multiple LPARs, if I'm running on some other platform, you know, I might have an, an application server on one, one um, VM um, as well as you know, database servers, I can have, you know, application servers, you can have all these different VMs, each hosting its own server. And each one of those VMs has to have its own set of, of processor and memory. And they don't necessarily share as well as they would on I, where I have one VM, and that one VM can now share all of those resources. So you get a benefit and a cost, a cost savings benefit just from that shared resource perspective. The other thing that people often overlook is if I come into my web server, when I make a request from the web server into the data or into the application server or into some core back end, all of that communication is done via some kind of a network request. Even on IBMI, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's a separate network request. Um, now, that network request if I'm running on IBMI, doesn't leave the TCP stack. I don't need to encrypt anything. It's also no. much faster because it stays on the TCP stack. So right there, that's that's a huge benefit that people often often fail to realize. The now one I didn't know. The other, you know, now benefit um, if you do any kind of Java based development. Right, uh, with the industry, what's going on in the in the industry these days with um, uh, a certain other company that owns Java, uh, charging for the usage of things like that, um, having your Java applications run on IBM I, you are now using the IBM Java. You're not. Oh, right. You don't care. You don't care about whatever news is going on outside of this world. All of your support costs are all part of your normal IBMI support statement, and you get the latest updates. Well, so, that's, so that's another uh, item to keep in mind if you're doing things in the world of Java. And, and on IBMI, you can run Tomcat and get support for it. You can run what we call our integrated application server, which is a, if you will, a flavor of Tomcat that's created by IBM that's based on Liberty. And we, we integrate the Liberty server into the operating system. That's very cool. Um, 
I haven't messed much with Java, so I wasn't aware of all of those things. So that's good to hear. Um, are you able to think of any disadvantages? Well, the disadvantages continue to get less and less. Um, with with the new changes that we've done in the open source space, specifically moving from things like OPS to um, RPMs and YUM, which I'm sure you're going to ask questions about coming up. But, <laughs> yep. but yep. with those kind of changes, right, now, again, we've moved into normal for our developers, and it's no longer nearly as difficult to get these environments on the box. It's drop it on, you're, you're on your IBMI, and it's much easier to have the environments ready to go. Right. Right. Um, it was that was a disadvantage that's been cured so far. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Now, yeah, here, here, that was so, one of my biggest so, gripes. So, and, but here's yeah. but here's the flip side to this, right? For you, it was a disadvantage. I will I would mm-hmm. readily agree for you. And and when I say you, I mean somebody who's a younger developer because you know RPMs, you know Yum. For some of my system administrators that have been working on IBM I for 20 years, they're at a disadvantage now. This is true. They're, they're <laughs> because, used to their license programs. And uh, they're, they're, they're used to PTFs, and, and we, <laughs> we just moved the cheese. Now, still, even in that space, you know, the RPMs and YUM, I think, are a far simpler and far easier way to deal with this stuff. Right. And but the it, learning curve. It's a learning curve. It's a change. It's not bad, so. Yeah, it's a change. And uh, in, in speaking on that topic, actually, we are going to shift the next little bit of the talk over to that. Um, you obviously had a hand in bringing the open source software to IBM I with Yum uh, through ACS. Um would, would you describe that as an exciting project, opening the IBM I platform to all the RPMs out there? Well, uh, my original um, involvement with open source on IBM I actually has to go back a little bit further because I was part of the team that brought the Apache server to oh, IBM very I. cool. Very so that cool. was one of the first um, open source projects that I got to work on, which was, yeah, very cool. And we were really excited about that. And then, you know, I've, I've been in the web middleware space for, you know, years since then with the SOAP-based uh, web services server and then the rest api stuff that we have and then when we had the opportunity to bring node.js to the platform we we're like we need a way to get node.js delivered and that first initial version of node.js it was like our our customers well first off we didn't have yum or we didn't have rpms that worked on i at that point in time it hadn't been invented for i yet so we needed to get something and that's why we created the 5733 ops option and ptfs which were a normal to ibm i people delivery mechanism i mean really a ptf is an rpm they're the same thing it's a package that contains software and apply ptf and load ptf that's really no different than yum. It's just, you know, different. 
right. So, right. It's a different interface, a different, but what absolutely. happens in the background is the same. There's some, some definite, some similarities, you know, so, so that's where we started with all this. And so the fact that we were able to, uh, Jesse and his team were you know incredibly instrumental in getting RPMs and ROM, YUM um, on the platform. And then to be able to take that interface um, and, and build a ACS interface over the top of that, um, mm-hmm. I know Jesse spent a few weekends slapping that together to put, you know, to, to make that all happen, but being able to take that and put that into ACS, I think has been very, very important because, you know, ACS is our strategic platform for many aspects oh, of, of yeah. managing and accessing the box. And so to be able to have the open source RPM component over that really makes yeah. things easier for the mm-hmm. non-YUM based developer. Oh, that was that was a genius uh, strategy to put that in the ACS. I agree. Um, I, I don't think it would have been nearly as adopted if it hadn't have been. Yeah, I mean, you know, for somebody like you know, I I get YUM. I know how it works. Yeah, I can copy and paste stuff, but yeah, you know, I, I don't need to remember. I don't want to have to remember what the YUM command line is. I mean. I'd much rather say, oh, hey, look at this. Click button. I have all my packages. Life is good. Yep. 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 I agree. I even, uh, not to go too much on a tangent, but I'm very happy that uh, Jesse and team have been creating the group RPMs, like the developer group RPM and stuff, where you can install it and it installs all the software you need for a development environment. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's really nice of them to do that for the people out there that aren't familiar with this newer type of development yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talking about YUM and RPMs, uh, I've noticed that the transition from the license program OPS to YUM has obviously accelerated the delivery of software exponentially. I mean, yeah. it's ramped it up tremendously, yeah, that's an which is a fantastic thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is an understatement. Uh, we can go over the details, but it, it was a tremendous jump from just like a dozen software to hundreds within a few months. Yeah, I think we were sitting at 37 when we rolled out Yum a year and a half ago, and now we're sitting at about 300. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. But, you know, uh, which is a fantastic thing, but it's still everything is curated through IBM at the moment. Third-party repositories can exist, and they do. I have one that delivers my dot files. Um, But I found this a little unique to IBM I in that there's not many third parties. And I chalk that up to the availability of the platform. Uh, Uh, No, I'm going to disagree with you on that before you go. Okay. we can talk about availability of the platform, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't count the fact that there's not third party to that. The reason that we don't have as much third party um, repositories is because IBM customers, in general, won't put those on. Well, there are many, and, and again, because of the nature of our platform, which is a platform for enterprise business. There are many companies that will only put on software that's from some, uh, you know, in, in many cases, they'll only put on software from IBM or from some third-party um, ISV that they've purchased. And well, that's one of the key pieces to that. 
at least I, at this yeah, point. And I agree with that sentiment, but I, I don't know if that's a detriment from someone creating their own third-party repository and delivering some software just because they think that maybe people won't adopt it. For example, if I had access to an IBMI that wasn't a client, which I don't really, I would happily provide a PHP RPM in, in my repository, but I don't have a box right now that I could test on. Regardless of if I think many people would adopt it or not, I'd still like to provide one because I'd like to use one. Sure, sure. Uh, but and 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 while that that's that's fantastic, and you know we would love to be able to you know do something along those lines. I mean, at this point right now, we've only had RPMs and repositories out there for a very short period of time, and that's true. One of the oh, it's been a, what a year and a half, right? And right. in our community, our community is very conservative. And especially when you start talking about um, some of the financial institutions that we have, whether that's banking, insurance, healthcare, mm -hmm. they absolutely will refuse to allow of course. software, even from somebody as reputable as you, on their box. So that's, you know, so I think as we continue to grow in this space, I think we're going to see more potential third parties and more opportunities in this, in this space. Of course. Um, and, and that kind of leads us into the availability that you want right. to discuss. And now that whole availability world has, has con continues to change and evolve. Um, it was just in February of this year that we had the very first announcement from IBM about having a cloud offering for yes. IBM I. It is becoming more and more available. I will say that, especially from what I saw five or so years ago. Yeah, well, there, there was nothing there. You had to either right. purchase or you had to purchase something from an MSP that would give you a partition. So you could do it, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the cloud-based model where you had self-provisioning and I could go spin up a partition for a couple of hours um, and move on. And, right. you know, while... The, it's been announced. Um, the IBM Cloud support, there's some support from SkyTap that I believe um, should be already just recently made available. And the other um, IBM Cloud through PowerVM-based support will be coming available, uh, my understanding is sometime in the next month or so. That's cool. You know, so again... Now that we have actual cloud availability, you know, somebody could very easily go get a partition for a day and be able to do the testing that they want to do in an affordable manner. That's true. Um, okay. So I know, you still there's... want free. <laughs> well, not necessarily. <laughs> I'm, curious. I'm curious about uh, everything that you mentioned there. These cloud offerings are still all going to be through third-party vendors, right? No, There's no, not, no, there, no, 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 no. They're through IBM. Okay, there is. Okay, it's they are IBM Cloud. IBM. Thank you. That's the clarification. It's, it's okay. IBM Cloud. So it's so, still through IBM. So, so could there potentially be, or have there even been talks of a potential like developer spin up or something like that? Well, that is one of the actual uh, themes that has been put together for this IBM Cloud. Um, Very cool. 
and the reality is there's many businesses that you know they're going to run their their core business on prem and and for for various reasons but their development team they still need um partitions to be able to do development and test right and being able to go you know spin up a test partition for an afternoon or three days or for a three-week period is incredibly enticing and i think yes. going to be very very useful for our ibmi development community definitely yeah yeah so we've so, so that is in the works right now oh that's but, that's absolutely part of this whole um the whole plan the whole okay. plan yeah fantastic to hear that gives me a lot of hope okay um well then that that section actually went much better than i thought it was going to well see that um, see, i wasn't worried about that section because i thought we had i thought <laughs> based on what we've been doing here in the last six months we actually have a good story that we can start to, to share now now yeah. last year we didn't have that good of a story but you know this year we do <laughs> because the one thing that people often forget is the development lab here in rochester we don't sit still you really don't. It's a very active development team, for yeah. sure. I, I love those people that say, oh, yeah, I tried Java on IBMI, and it was terrible. <laughs> oh. oh, okay, when did you try it? Oh, it was on a Power 4 box. Oh, goodness. I, and I'm like, yeah, I agree. Java on IBMI <laughs> on Power 4 sucked. Move on. We're, yeah. not, we're not that anymore. We actually no. have an incredibly – finely tuned java that runs really well on power eight power nine it's amazing the performance you can get out of that silly stuff so yeah the world has changed a lot in short periods of time both with things like tooling and languages and performance of languages uh, you know and and our cloud story heck and our availability story with you know things like db2 mirror Oh, definitely. That was an exciting thing to hear. So anyway, uh, I think we've spent a lot of time on this and it was a fantastic talk. So we'll wrap up with a quick fun question of what do you do for fun and you know, what are your hobbies or passions? <laughs> uh, fantastic question. So for, for many of the last few years, you know, I have four kids, so the world's revolved around some of uh, chasing them around. Um, I've, I've been very active in the, in the space of soccer. I've either coached my kids or have parented my kids. I watched them play games. Um, last year, my youngest son and I took up repping. So he and I are both, um, certified FIFA certified, uh, soccer referees. So we spend our time when he's not playing and I'm not watching him play, uh, giving back to the soccer community in the area. And roughing games. It's a matter of fact, I had a game last night and have a game tonight. So it should be uh, quite fun. I figure what better way to get exercise than to have somebody pay you. Right. I mean, think about right. it. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. It's great. So that's been uh, a part of my life here in the last year or two. I also spent lots of time fixing things. I work on my own cars. I've built things. I've built half oh, my neat. built half my house back a few years ago so you're a tinkerer i yeah yeah i am <laughs> i know the feeling um, so yeah and i i spent about 30 years as a sound engineer um as well on the side my my family is uh, quite musical my wife is a keyboardist i have a son who is a uh, working as a worship pastor at a church in uh, phoenix and so i I've, I've spent quite a bit of time doing uh, 
as as I don't play an instrument, I get to mix mix them playing instruments. It's been it was great fun. Oh, I see. I was actually um, Alan told me to ask you about music <laughs> yeah uh, a yeah, matter of fact funny that you mentioned that uh, some of the well, it was what was it an event in uh ocean last year i believe um uh, he he played a little ditty with it was him and charlie and um yeah. um oh what's her name from uh steph steffy steph yes yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. names they, they they did a little ditty and i helped with the microphones and made it sound actually pretty good so yeah that was that was fun i see the very cool music technician all right well it was fantastic to have you on the podcast uh that was a great interview and uh so we'll just wrap it up at that well fantastic Uh, thanks again for pulling me in and let me know when we can chat again for sure okay well that sure was an exciting discussion packed full of information from tim rowe Uh, It's nice to be assured by Tim about the direction of the Rochester team. I was really happy to hear that. Uh, Shout out to the Rochester team, by the way. They're the real MVPs of the platform. I hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. Uh, Tim will most likely end up being a repeat guest in the future. If you haven't already, please be sure to follow us on your favorite social platforms. Uh, We're on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. I might be missing something, but you can check the website for all our social media if you want to follow us and stay up to date with everything. Other than that, thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.